Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome to the Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. Do you have a mate that doesn't seem great? Maybe their team is up, but they're still down. A dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Dare Iced Coffee, a proud partner of Are You Okay? Welcome to the conversations that could. I'm Dermot Brereton. Each week I talk to people from across the sporting landscape to reflect on their career, be it past or present, discuss their struggles and their successes, what they've learnt along the journey and ways in which we can all support each other through the challenges that life presents. Our guest tonight is a former Premiership player and 300-gamer. I dreamt of playing 300 games. As I say, a 300-gamer with the Port Adelaide Football Club. Since retiring from the AFL, he's honed his media skills to become one of the most sought-after AFL commentators in the country. He's also an accomplished distance runner who knows just a little bit about resilience and pushing his body to the limit. Having just run 780 kilometres in 12 days from Adelaide to Melbourne to raise money and awareness for charity. Well, not just run, he has run it. It's my pleasure to welcome Kane Corns to the conversations that could for Are You OK? Hey, Kane. Hello, Derm. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure, mate. Well, this is a bit of a treat for me because I hear and see Kane Corns occasionally. Very occasionally, I get the chance to work with him and I see a lot of his work. Mostly it's in headlines. <laughs> He's having a go at someone, making some statement that, that makes us all sit up and go, wow, is that true? Uh, or, yes, that is true. Has some, and somebody's had the uh, the ghoulies enough to say it. So it's going to be a bit of a treat for me today to speak to you about something other than specifically football news. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a treat for me as well, Derm. I, I remember I was sort of starting out my media career and at the old SEN building we, we were doing something, I was doing some work and you were there and you kindly offered me a lift home in your BMW and I was sort of a bit starstruck and we just spoke footy and, and all things and you were very generous with your time. So I've always been a big fan but also did enjoy just chatting life and, and footy with you on that quick ride home when you drop me home so um yeah i'm really thrilled to be here chatting all things with you this afternoon my pleasure well lou richard said to me when i was much younger than you are now and i've said this often time and time again i was working in the afl and i was only 17 years of age and he'd heard of me playing reserves footy and about to get a game in the seniors and he said there's only two things that are free in life son that's fresh air and civility (laughs) so (laughs) i always pass that on from the great lou richards yeah civility costs nothing well we've just seen you we have seen you in the past do some amazing things like footballers we're banged up when we finish and retire it's because we're banged up and and uh, although you might have escaped some of the horrific injuries, you know, we, we do all get banged up. How is it that you can still run 780, 800 kilometres on roads? I mean, I couldn't even do it on beach sand, on roads. Yeah, it was it was the hardest thing I've ever done. And there were moments throughout it where I was questioning what I was doing and, and whether I could get through it. I mean, one particular day, it was only day two and I was 45 k's in and we stopped for some lunch and I was in a bit of trouble at that stage and I was thinking to myself I'm halfway through day one I've got 10 days to go after this so I guess it was the the fear of not letting people down and um, you know the, the last thing was the embarrassment of starting something and not finishing so that that drove me and also had an incredible team of four guys behind me as well and obviously all the support that you saw online and the donations flooding through so I didn't want to let those people down but yeah, it was a it was a challenge like no other, Derm, and I'm I'm glad it's over, and I'm thrilled that I got it done. It was one of the more rewarding things that I have done. But my body was pretty good. I I played a style of football that wasn't 
necessarily combative like yourself and perhaps like my brother did and probably no way that that chad or or yourself could sign up for that with the punishment that you took over a long period of time playing afl i, I played a different style and you know there's all sorts of different styles in afl that that was mine so i escaped those serious injuries but it was a good challenge and a very rewarding one. Oh, I think you're down downplaying it there. Anyone who plays league footy gets punished. <laughs> they they just get punished, <laughs> especially if you play 300 games. Yeah. I mean, that's 1,200 quarters of footy where somebody, if you get the ball, 1,200 quarters of footy where the opposition can put their crosshairs on you at any moment in those 1,200 blocks of half an hour. It's an amazing effort to get through that. and So the body gets punished. How much did you work out? What was your your, your means test? What was the mm. average you had to get each day in that run? So it was it was a touch over 60 per day, but in the first five days we wanted to bank some kilometres, so yep. we'd sort of try and get ahead of the game. So first two days was 65 per day, then I did a 67 and a 66, and all of a sudden you feel like you're 30, 40 k's ahead of your target, so the, the last couple of days weren't going to be as as punishing as the first, you know, six or seven. So that's the way we did it. Started at seven o'clock on the dot every morning and tried to bank out sort of 30 Ks in the morning. Then we'd have a little break and come back for sort of 15 Ks in between breakfast and lunch and then finish with the last 20 Ks. It was really hilly. You know, you're tested by all sorts of things that you haven't thought about. You know, the, the, the trucks coming past you and these truckies, as you would know, are in a hurry and they've got deadlines and, they're wondering what this idiot is doing with three cars banked up going 12 kilometres an hour and holding up all the traffic. So there was some impatience with that. You had the weather and the rain and the wind, um, you know, roadkill on the side of the road, the smells of that. It was it was amazing, really, in the, the sights that you saw. And just to see some of the magnificent country as well. And, and people were phenomenal. People were driving up ahead and they'll pull over and they'd stop and they'd hand you 50 bucks. And, of course, that went to the kids with cancer and their families and, Saw a lot of and met a lot of cancer survivors, be that children now or children that had cancer as children and now they're adults and, you know, the importance of charities like My Room. So, um, as I said, I'd never done anything like that. Um, I'm not sure I could physically do it again, but to raise $400,000 and to see the impact that that had had uh, was one of the most rewarding things I've done. You, you briefly touched on it, um, the My Room charity. Was that the sole focus, the sole reason you did it? Otherwise, you know, people climb mountains and they say because yeah. they're there. People run from Adelaide to Melbourne because it's there. Um, yeah. Is it the sole reason charity? It was. It was the driving force behind it. But um, I, I was excited by the physical challenge and the opportunity to do something that you wouldn't usually do. I mean. Life becomes a bit mundane. You get into a routine, you stick to it. Um, you know, you've got, you've got your kids and then you've got work and everything else. And it's sort of the days sort of blend into each other. So to do something completely out of my comfort zone and a once in a lifetime opportunity was appealing to me. So yeah, whilst raising money and, and the charity was forefront of, of the mind and um, that was the platform that allowed me to do it. Um, I guess the challenge behind it, both physical, mental, and to achieve something that perhaps you'd only get one opportunity to do was, was also one of the reasons why I was quite excited to do it. You mentioned the word excited. Uh, we're going to talk about the charity and, and what it means to you and how you've been um, conditioned, I suppose, from the people around you and your son as well. But you said you're excited by it. When fo what people don't realise is when football's finished, you know, as a profession, there is there's five days of extreme activity out of their lifestyle gone. Mm. Some of them can't stop. Mm. I, I remember Russell Morris, uh, Russell Green, sorry, um, captain of Victoria, three hundred game player. He was told your knees can't take any more, but he still went running on the roads each day because his mind didn't want to stop. He just couldn't stop. Are you a little bit that bent that you you just couldn't stop? You you need to do something. You need to achieve in some physical way. Yeah, a hundred percent. So I I played as you know the role of a tagger where it was myself and my opponent, and I could walk off the ground knowing did he win or did I win. Yeah. And there was some sort of satisfaction out of that. Either way, like clearly you want to win, and you're disappointed if you lost, but I could walk off that ground after 120 minutes knowing 
okay, Shane Crawford won that one. I lost. I'll get him next time. Or I won this one. I beat Simon Black. Look out because he'll be motivated to get me next time. And, and I loved that aspect of it. Now, footy's changed in a way, and we don't have the one-on-one matchups, even forward v back, so to speak. Like mm. the, the defenders guard space now, and they play a completely different method as to when you would have had an opponent and could walk off the ground. Did he get me today or did I get him? And you, you were very clear in your mind. I don't think many footballers can actually walk off the ground knowing whether they'd won or lost, maybe other than the Ruckman today. But I had that and I miss that. I don't miss a lot about playing footy, but I miss those one-on-one battles and knowing whether you won or lost for the week. And so now it's a battle against myself, really. Like I, So I took up marathon running basically straight after I retired and that filled the void of that, um, yeah, to use your word, combative duel against my opponent. Now it's just a duel against myself. So out there on the road when you're running for six hours a day and there's not a lot of company and you're inside your own head, it was just that battle against yourself, whether you could win or lose for the day and whether you could win or lose and, and make it to the finish line. Can I ask you, when you were playing, did you ever have a notion that you could run these, well, literally ultra marathons, aren't they, yeah. in their own right? Did you have a notion that you could do that? I mean, clearly you were incredibly fit and your endurance was in, you know, insane for league football levels, but did you think it could have turned into this? Yeah, so my mum ran, as a young kid, one of my enduring memories was mum training for a marathon, and I remember it was such a big physical achievement for her because she was you know working a couple of jobs she was single mum looking after Chad and myself and that wasn't easy in itself and then she would get home from work we'd jump on the bike and we'd she'd run up Anzac Highway which is sort of the main connecting road from the coastal area of Adelaide to the city it's you know if you drive to the city from the beach you'll drive up Anzac Highway so she would run up we'd get on our bikes and ride behind her and the sun was going down and it was dark and she'd be training for this marathon I thought gee that's I was always really impressed by that. And then she did the marathon and she did it in an hour, uh, three hours and 10 minutes. And I thought, that's a, you know, you don't know much about that and the time and what it means. But I remember she was thrilled with that time. So she was a runner um, and she loved it. And I always had that sort of running bug. And I'd set myself every preseason to win the 3K time trials and really pride myself on, on doing that at footy. So I knew there was an aerobic base. And definitely in the back of my mind when I finished footy, I always wanted to at least run one marathon and that's turned into two and three and turned into running from Adelaide to Melbourne, Deb. So <laughs> develop from there. The Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. Mate not feeling great? A dare fix won't fix it. But a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Hey, just while I think of it, um, did any... Player ever outrun you on the field? Literally yeah. outrun you? Yes. Yeah, that we, we played in a prelim final against Hawthorne, your old mob, in 2014, and I started on Brad Hill on a wing. Oh. And yeah. I just I just couldn't go with him. So what, what he had that I didn't have was – so he had the endurance, but he also had the speed. Yeah, he had burst so speed, I was didn't a, he? I was a one-pacer, you know, but I could, I could run all day and I'd be running as fast in the last quarter as I was in the first, but I didn't have the explosive speed that – Brad Hill had so he torched me that day um it was a was a good lesson and it was towards the back end I thought yeah I'm not sure how long I can keep up with these youngsters who have got this athleticism that Brad Hill had did you did you ever see his draft camp the 4k I think it was the what, what do they do the 2k's or the 4k time do you ever see yeah. his I didn't. They do a 2K. 2K, yeah. Now. He was looking yeah. over his shoulder. He was just moseying along. And then he looked over his shoulder and saw someone a couple of metres behind him. And you're thinking, they're all going flat chat. And they were a few metres behind. He looked over his shoulder and somebody slingshot him into the last mm. three, 400 metres. And it was just, it was like different grades, different species. Yeah. yeah. Different gears, I think. And. So Chris Judd had that, you know, West Coast Chris Judd, not so much Carlton Chris Judd where he'd taken yep. a lot of punishment as an inside midfielder. But when he came on, it was, right, he can run all day, but he had this explosion. Um, and I guess that's what the midfielders have now. They're big. They're, I mean, they're bigger than you now, aren't they? And they're yeah. Cripps and Petrarca and Oliver. Um, you know, Fife, they can be these massive men that can then explode. Patrick Cripps away from stoppage. So that's how I think the game's developed. Tell us, when you were on the run, I mean, 
One thing that I really get the irks when I ride a bike these days, when a truck goes past you, mm. the vacuum it creates, did that spin you around at any stage? Those big vacuums of those big road trains that go past from Adelaide to, well, through to Sydney actually yeah. for the first part of the journey, isn't it? And then Melbourne. Well, it was quite, um, I got quite anxious about it actually because you think, I mean, there's not much protecting you. We, we did it pretty well. We had sort of two vans, one in front, one behind, and then we had a big motorhome at the back yep. carrying all our gear that protected us with the, with the signs. But even still, when they went to overtake and they, they come past pretty close, you think, gee, one, one slip here and I'm, I'm in all sorts of trouble, and then the one's coming the other way. So, yeah, that, that um, aspect of the run I, I didn't expect, and, that, yeah, they can be quite impatient, as you, as you can imagine. So the reason you ran the 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 run made the run from Adelaide to Melbourne, you wanted to raise for charity. Mm. You had a belief that you obviously a belief that you could make it. When did it dawn on you? This is gee, I, I'm in the deep end here. I'm, I'm this is I'm finding this a little bit more difficult than than perhaps I first thought. Well, yeah, I mean, there was there was moments along the way. Uh, about day three, your your feet start to go, so all your, all your toenails start because of the the banging of the toenails yep. into the front of your shoe up and down the hill start to turn on you. So that was one thing. Then had an issue with sort of a tendon in my ankle, and then everything started to ache. And then about day five or six, I I got a really sore back, and my back just sort of seized up and started spasming on me. And I thought, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm not going great here. So one physical issue turned into two and then three and had a physio with me. His name was Dylan. He's a young kid who um, you know, gave a lot of time into my body. So that, that really helped. And he so applied there, yeah, for the was, job there, too. Yeah, there yeah. were times along the way where you, where you question it. But the worst thing was to start something and not finishing it. So that, that was always in the back of my mind. And I thought even, even if I have to walk it and I'm out here from you know sunrise to sunset and we're out here in the dark and I've got to walk for 10 hours, I, I knew I was always going to get there. I just didn't know what state I was going to get there in. But I'm proud to say I, I didn't walk a step. I, we, we ran the whole way and did it in a, in a pretty good time. So I was actually quite, you know, I, I don't get proud of myself for anything I really do, but um, that was one time where I sort of was able to sit back and pat myself on the back because it was a bit hairy along the way and just was thrilled that um, we were able to, to reach the finish line in some sort of reasonable state. Is that the the marathon runner's mantra? You must run every step because otherwise you can't say, I ran the marathon. <laughs> if you take one step in a walk, you can't say, I ran the marathon. Just as you ran every step from Adelaide to Melbourne, otherwise you can't say you ran it. Probably, yeah. I think it's probably an unwritten rule. You'd have to ask, you know, um, Mona, Steve Monaghetti and Rob DiCostello. I know there's a, I know there's a secret pact with those that have represented their country that if you put the Australian singlet on and you're running representing Australia, then you must finish the race um, and you can't pull out. So I know there's some unwritten rules there, but for me, it was I'm gonna I'm gonna run every every step of the way and um uh, whilst at times we did slow down to a to a jog and it may not have looked pretty i was pretty proud to say that we didn't walk <laughs> a great friend of ours here ian botham he has had both hips operated his knee his spine and he says yeah he took a bit of punishment from running mm. in and bowling you know hundreds of thousands of deliveries at at top level but he reckons the walks from northern Scotland down to Land's End, he reckons that did the most damage. So yeah. do you look down the line and, and think someday this is going to catch up? Yeah, my dad tells me it will. Um, but then I look at, you know, I, I, I caught up with Steve Monaghetti along the way and this is the guy that was doing 200 yeah. kilometres a week for years and years and he's still running. He's 60 and he he did, I don't know, 74 minutes for a half marathon the other day in, in Melbourne as a 60-year-old. I thought, well, this is phenomenal. So there's, there's outliers to that. Yep. At some point, I, I won't be able to do it. Um, I don't know what will fill the void for me when I can't run. Um, I'll find something. But, yeah, at the moment, I guess it's a bit of an addiction for me. I, you know, Some people um, get addicted to, to bad things. I guess I'm addicted to exercise, and it may not be the healthiest thing, but it's not the worst thing to be 
addicted to, but I'm sure there's a time like I'm, I'm 40 in January. So I'm sure there's a time in 10, 20 years time where I can't do it anymore. And I'll have to come up with something else, maybe golf or lawn bowls or something <laughs> to scratch the, to scratch the competitive itch. Now tell us if somebody comes up that doesn't have to be an ex league footballer, doesn't even have to be a footballer. If somebody came up to you and said, Kane, tell me, I really want to do one of these marathon runs. I'm going to run from mm. uh, Melbourne to Adelaide or vice versa. What is the one great thing that you would say they get out of it? And what is the worst aspect you'd tell them, watch out for this? Um, well, the, the, the personal satisfaction to do something that not many people would sign up for, I think is, is rewarding. So knowing that you're willing to put your hand up and have the potential to fail. Um, there's all, there was always that risk that you, you know, I've had significant stress fractures in my feet and my coxie bone before and one of those and I was gone. So there's always the risk that you can fail. So to, to sign up and put yourself out there knowing that I think is, is reasonably brave. And then to, to be able to accomplish that, to set out, to, to train for it. I mean, not something you can just say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to go tomorrow without preparing and training for it. So you have to be disciplined to, to prepare yourself for, for the punishment that is going to come. So the sacrifice that that takes, I think, is is quite rewarding. Um, the wor- the worst part of it, I I I didn't really find any negatives to it other than physically. Like, so I'm nearly three weeks in and paying the price physically. Like my my back, I'm not sure if it's ever going to come good the way it feels right now. So I guess the physical aspect of it, um, can you get the time off work? Are you prepared for the um, the fallout from it physically after? Perhaps that was one thing that. Um, you need to be wary of. Our guest tonight is Kane Corns. I'm Dermot Brereton, and this is The Conversation That Could, brought to you by Dare Iced Coffee. Kickstart a conversation with Dare, and are you okay? The Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. When your mate bottles it up, a Dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Welcome back to the Conversations That Could. I'm Dermot Brereton and our guest tonight is former Port Power champion of the Port Adelaide Football Club, Kane Corns. Now, you grew up in Adelaide. I didn't play against your old man, but he coached against myself when we were playing against him and then we met each other through, you know, various areas and then we coached together in the international rules games and found him thoroughly engaging. But to be Graham Corns' son in Adelaide, uh, well, he got two of them. It must have been a unique experience. He's he's missed a football on the radio over there as being a former champion as well. Yeah, it was – I mean, I wouldn't change the childhood for anything. So uh, my parents split up when I was about three years of age and we lived with mum. So I didn't see dad as much as I would have liked. So we sort of every second weekend would, would be there and perhaps one night a week for dinner – um, but we hung out with him at the footy club and that was where my love of football started. I I think the best smell in the world is a football change room, the liniment <laughs> derm. I just remember it. Some wouldn't be able to stand the smell of it, but I loved it as a kid. I remember the cordial that the players drank at the Glenelg Footy Club. They had little PK chewing gum and yeah. a, a little you know box of that that Chad and I would sort of help ourselves to. And Dad was really welcoming for us like even as youngsters he'd let us come in to his half-time address and you know as you can imagine it got quite fiery and there was a lot of interesting language used but he didn't shield us from any of that and I just just loved it just lapped it all up and that was at Glenelg we, we lived just across the road from the Glenelg footy club but then the Crows came in and and you'd remember it I mean you played in that first not, game not yeah for a, for a lot of it I think um or yeah you did you got Chris McDermott a good one in that game didn't you from from memory, yeah, Bones doesn't want to remember that all that much, and it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. Move on, <laughs> but well, you would you would know how big the crows were. Like, oh yeah, just the yeah. biggest thing you've ever like. They were packing out Footy Park fifty odd thousand for for trial games. So it was just the biggest thing you've ever seen. And Dad was the coach, and I was a an eight year old trying to sort of navigate what it meant for the state um, when the team lost. You'd cop it at school and. You know, you got the talk that you're only getting a game in the footy team because you're Graham Corns' son. So there was a few negatives that came with it. But largely, my childhood revolved around hanging out with Dad, 
at the footy club, be that during the week or on the weekends, and I wouldn't have changed it for anything. I understand what it's like to be a, a, a love-hate figure. You know, some people are going to love you, yeah. some people hate you. You, you cop it yourself. But yep. as a child, hearing it about your father, your father was a brilliant footballer. I remember him. I was a kid. The, 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 the ages you're talking about now, watching footy here mm. in Melbourne and watching him come over for – and it was only a brief time. He, most of us would, would agree he came over too late in his career – um, he and Russell Ebert did it. And he was a love-hate character. Those who saw him play at his best loved him and those who didn't want a bar of what he had to say or he was on the opposition hated him. What's it like for an eight-year-old kid to hear people and the vitriolic yeah. abuse they give your father? How, how, does, how does an eight-year-old mm. kid compute that? Oh, it was hard. Um, and... We didn't have social media, so that helped. I mean, imagine now. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, even the the stuff that my kids would see written about me is is difficult for them. But I guess the way that he handled it, he's got the thickest skin I've ever seen. Like he just just didn't stress about what people thought of him, and I always admired that about him. Whether that was you know fashion, he'd wear some crazy sort of outfit when he was. Young and flamboyant, he didn't really care about what people would say about that, whether it was something he'd say on the radio, if he believed it, he'd just say it and was willing to cop the feedback that would come with that, whether it was getting in the face of the opposition as a player, and I, I didn't see him play live, but I've seen vision of him of him doing that and you know being really feisty and getting under the skin and quite a divisive figure. But the thing that I've always admired is he doesn't care. Well, at least he doesn't, act, he doesn't come across as the fact that he cares what people think about him and I think that's quite a quite a unique characteristic because mostly I think people would say oh, you know, I do care what people think about me and I want to be liked he's never really struck me as someone who cares if he's liked or not and, he probably you know, I, I, do, he probably doesn't say it because most characters I find who say oh, I don't care what they think of me the fact that they've actually announced that they do care mm, <laughs> but Graham mm. is one of those characters he just it just rolls off him doesn't it yeah, I, I think it does, and um, he doesn't have a bad word to say about anyone, really. Like certainly, he'd have his, you know, in his in his media work, he'd have commentary about that, and but in his in his personal life, he he never says anything bad about anyone, which I've always admired about him. So yeah, I think there's a lot of strong characteristics. I mean, he he's had a interesting life, really, a really interesting life from you know the, the growing up with with not a lot and his mum and dad and they lived in a sort of a brick shed that his dad built with his bare hands to going to Vietnam when he was when he was 19 and and seeing the horrific things that he would have seen over there to the football career to the work that he's done to coaching so a very very interesting life I'd wish he'd written a book Dern, but he he's not prepared to to write a book because he says someone's feelings will get hurt if I write a book but <laughs> He's got a very interesting life and, yeah, clearly someone I respect. So, yeah, you've had to wade through all that. Your mm. life has counted that as well as your own now that you, you are in your seat, your position. I, I mean, clearly I've had the opportunity to speak to Graham before and and some of the issues that he's come up. And I've, I've touched on it with him and I've asked him because it does fascinate me how men deal with these situations. His, his time in Vietnam seemed to affect him a bit. I think that's fair. I, I don't. Um, I was a bit naive to it, probably when I was when I was younger. Um, I'm more conscious of it now, um, of of how much it has impacted his life and the work that he's done to um, yeah to help deal with the horrific things that he would have seen. Now I don't ask him about that, and he's not one to share that he's never not answered a question if i've had one but he's you know he's quite um yeah quite hesitant i guess to speak about the experience behind it but i know that it's shaped him significantly i know he's really proud of 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 uh, what he did um in vietnam and i know he's done a lot of work with the other vietnam vets as well so uh, as a family we're incredibly proud of of the legacy that he will leave um but you're right, it's had a significant impact on his life and perhaps to what extent I don't even know. I'm not even conscious of, of how significant it was for him. Yeah, so it, without him being here to say, yes, you can speak about that, he's not here. They put him yeah. into some fairly heavy situations, didn't they? No doubt. Yeah, no doubt about that. And and for, you know, I've you, you've got kids and I've, I've got kids and my eldest is 16 to think about, you know, 
them in a couple of years through no choice of their own having to go and fight for their country is, is heartbreaking really it's hard it's just really difficult to wrap your head around it and you know he was on the cusp of a really um big footy career and that just stops for a couple of years and off you go um and you just chucked into this situation so i think he was quite naive about as you would be as a 19 year old what you're going to face but he faced it head on and um came back alive and healthy and he would say that he's he's one of the lucky ones because he had a footy club to come back to that embraced him and he had discipline in his life and great mentors such as Neil Curley who he's spoken about whereas the other veterans that came back largely um, some of them were, were, were lost to it because they didn't have that environment to walk back into. So in the Sandford, we've got all those wonderful t- uh, teams, you know, the Norwood, Glenelg, mm. um, even South Adelaide in the day and all these brilliant teams that we've seen throughout the years. And then along comes the Crows and they literally take the mantle of reg- mantle of a regular weekend state of origin team. <laughs> Your dad coaches him. So he assumes the first coaching role in that mantle. But Port Adelaide is still Port Adelaide and they would yeah. have played against North Adelaide, Glenelg, Sturt. They'd have played against all them, and they are the mortal enemy. And so you come along and don't make it to Dad's team that he coached firstly in the AFL, the Crows. You end up at Port Adelaide. Oh, it's crazy, and Chad did the heavy lifting. So if if Dad had coached for one more season at Adelaide, the Crows would have had Chad and myself under the father-son. So the rules have changed a bit, but at the time it was five years as a coach. So if he'd done five years at Adelaide, the Crows would have just got Chad and myself for nothing under the father-son rule. He was four years. He got sacked halfway through 94, which made it four years. So that there's a bit of a sliding doors moment there. And then in, yeah, 1997, end of, um, Chad was just drafted out of nowhere to Port Adelaide. And you've got the hatred between Dad and Port Adelaide and the Crows and Port Adelaide was as vitriolic as you could imagine so for Chad to go there it took uh, a lot of time for him to be embraced by the Port supporters and his career didn't take off right from the start I mean he was an, an inconsistent skinny forward who had to work on his competitiveness and spent a lot of time in the sandful and, and struggled to you know make it and question whether he was going to make it eventually he did and eventually he did win over the Port supporters and now he's as Port Adelaide as anything and he mm. can't stand the Crows so it's funny how <laughs> life works but he did a lot of heavy lifting and then uh, three years later most people had sort of got their head around Corns playing for Port Adelaide when I was drafted there and I just sort of fit in um, pretty seamlessly and the Port supporters were great to me. What's what's greater in terms of hatred? The rest of the comp on Port Adelaide in South Australia or South Australia in general towards Victorians? <laughs> oh, probably South Australian towards Victorians. <laughs> but um, it's, it's been diluted a bit, the the Ports, because Port's now just a, a second team for the Port Adelaide team in the AFL. So it's it doesn't have that, that quite, um, you know, the old Port Adelaide us against the world sort of mentality that it did. And that's that's a shame, but, you know, it moves on and the AFL is clearly the priority now. I can remember fronting up in, in Adelaide one time and they the, literally the old kicker Vic, you know, the yeah. bed sheets with yes. painted kicker Vic on it. And I remember seeing one, it was like the hang the butcher stick figures and there was me hanging in the stick was figures. <laughs> so, imagine trying to – I actually yeah. got a laugh out of it. Right? Yeah. Imagine trying to get away with that these days. I know. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. And the, the we hate you because you're Victorian chance and all that. Because Dad dad loved the, the state of origin battles as well. And he had a really good record as coach. And we remember those. So, yeah, it's fortunate that we grew up in a time when there was just magnificent rivalries. Not that there isn't today, but they, there just seemed a bit more passion back then in the, in the 90s. Tell us what we're hearing. Well, I'm asking you about your father's role. There's a resilience in you and Chad. And from the sounds of it, your mother's played an enormous part, which doesn't because your dad's so famous. Mm, yeah, your mother doesn't seem to get a lot of credit for that resilience that is seemingly in you two. Yeah, it was a. I mean, I look back; it was a sad sort of childhood. I, um, as I said, mum and dad 
split up and mum sort of never really got over it and she, I just remember her struggling to, to do that and sort of dad's life moved on pretty well. I mean, he, he moved on and, and married Nicole and had three um, daughters, so my, my, my half-sisters or sisters as I would call them and he sort of moved on to other things where I've, you know, mum just sort of struggled to, to move on with her life and the three of us sort of lived in a tiny house in, in Glenelg but she was a hard worker, she was really caring and, and absolutely did the best that she could um, for us boys. So in terms of resilient, she's, she's incredibly resilient. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that she, she would love, she would love that recognition. Um, and now she just lives a couple of doors down from me, incredible grandmother to, to my boys and, and Chad's little daughter winter. So we're really lucky. She's in a good space now, but largely it was, it was a sad time sort of watching her struggle to get over the heartbreak of the, of the marriage breakup and, and, you know, for those that, you know, it's quite common now, um, marriage breakups and people deal with it differently, but for her, she struggled. I'm Dermot Brereton. We'll wrap things up with Kane Corns in a moment. Thanks to Dare and Are You OK? The Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. Mate not feeling great? A Dare fix won't fix it. But a conversation could. Ask, Are You OK? Welcome back to the conversations that could for Are You OK? I'm Dermot Burton and my guest tonight is Port Adelaide football club legend and media person, a legendary media personality in short time, I might add, Kane Corns. Kane, the transition from retiree one day into the, I think from memory, you went straight to, yeah. well, you got a position in the, um, Fire, the Brigade. Fire Brigade, didn't you? Yeah, so it was kind of um, interesting how it all happened. I Signed up for one more year in 2015. I had the conversation with Ken Hinckley. He said, look, this is going to be your last year. The, the last thing I want is is champions of the club to end up playing Sample and things not to end the way that they should. So this this will be your last year. And after round two, he he rested me for a game. I thought, I was, Kenny, it's round two and, and you're resting me. So the writing was on the wall that this was sort of coming to an end pretty quickly. And I was like, what am I going to do? I don't really know what I'm going to do. And I had a couple of mates in the fire brigade. They said, look, you'll love it because four days on, four days off, we're you know, great fitness culture, which you love, and you'll have some flexibility to do your media work on the side and, and do that. I was like, okay, well, I'll give it a crack. Don't know what else I'm going to do. So I signed up and you, you pass the first sort of test, which is a physical and progress. You pass the next one, which is a psychological test, and you progress to the interview stages. And then it started to get serious. Like, well, if you get through this – they're going to take the intake mid-year and you're going to have to make a call on whether... Um, You've got to go have, out and put out fires. You've got, you, yeah, you've <laughs> got to go because if you don't take it, they'll just move on to someone else, not knowing when the next intake would be. And so I had a chat to the footy club. They were great. They said, look, it was always going to be your last year. We'll support you, whatever you want to do. And I made the call to go. Now, it was the wrong call to make. In hindsight, I, I should have seen out my contract at Port Adelaide. And in the end, the fire brigade wasn't for me. Dermot just wasn't suited to, to my personality and then a, a great opportunity came with the media through Hutchie and SEM which I'm forever grateful for he, he saw something in me and offered me a full-time position which I jumped at and sort of haven't looked back since I'm conscious I've got my own style in the media and um yeah and, hold that thought hold that okay. thought and nobody's <laughs> asked you this why wasn't the fire brigade for your personality yeah it's a it's very I'm not mechanically minded at all and I'm not I'm not a tradie type that can use their hands and good at fixing things and you know quite you know you see those handymen those people that come over and just hang up a picture at your house bang like Lucy my wife dad just can fix anything can do all that it's a lot of using your hands working with ropes and setting up Surely it's just picking up a hose and pointing it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, there's a bit, of, there's a bit of that as well, and some of it was suited to me as well. But the the other thing that was difficult was, you know, the night shift aspect of it. To you know how disruptive Kids, that yeah. can be, and um, you know the fact that it's really long, so ten hours on shift and you can't leave, and then fourteen hour nights. So it's just just some things that um, weren't suited to my personality. And I, look, I gave it a crack. I did twelve months and moved on to, to something that was sort of suited to me. And as I said, I'm grateful for the opportunity in the media. Can I ask you about your, your little fella who mm. was born with a, 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 
do we call it a deformity? Is that the correct? Yeah, well, you can call it heart disease, I guess, or a okay. heart condition. Can yeah, you tell um, us about so that? Eddie, yeah, so first child, um, so we were quite young when um, I met Lucy when I was 15. So uh, that was when I was in year 10 at school and married at 22. And then Eddie came along soon after that. So at 20-ish weeks, when you have the sort of first major scan, we went in all excited and wondering what we're going to see and we're going to work out the sex of the baby and all of that. And the sonographer um, did the, the, the quick sort of initial check and then she left the room and she was gone for ages. She's gone for half, gone for half an hour and Lucy and I just sitting there going, I'm not sure this is, this is standard practice, but it was our first child. We sort of didn't know any different and we didn't think too much of it. Then the doctor came in and said, look, your, your baby's got something wrong with its heart. The heart should be on the left side. Clearly, your baby's heart's on the right. He said, we don't know a lot about what's going on. What we will do is send you to someone who did. So we left that devastated, um, just went home, had no information whether that meant the baby would survive or, or not. And yeah, many tests and many scans and, and things like that after and um, ended up did having have eddie in 2006 clearly um he came out really healthy but at 10 days 10 days old we we went in for some further checkups and um yeah found out that it not only was the heart on the right side he had some significant sort of draining drainage issues with his heart that probably needed to be rectified at some point um so it was a ch really challenging period that year of 2007 uh, he was quite sick, sick he was in and out of hospital um, probably on the month, I reckon. He had some, some asthma and some breathing issues as well. So there's been challenges right throughout. Uh, he's He's been incredible. Like He's sort of defied the odds a little bit. He's 16 now. He's a big boy. Has never had to have the open heart surgery, whilst that's still a possibility for him as his life goes on. And we'll wait and see how he's affected. Um, what sports are out of bounds for yeah, him? Yeah, sports are gone, Dermy. He's also got one... Well, not all sports. Uh, I guess contact sports. He, he's got one kidney as well. Um, so, you know, the, the footy stuff, we're a bit hesitant. So he started playing footy up until about the age of 10 and then sort of advised to give that away. But he plays basketball. He's really into into his sports. He, he wants to be a sports journalist and things like that. So, I mean, he's been able to fill the void, no worries, and has, has done um, incredibly well. But, I mean, he's got some challenges ongoing. But we, we feel fortunate that, um, you know, he's got to this point, um, you know, pretty well. Not not that those ailments align themselves with the My Room product, mm. but, but is that one of the triggers that you went into to, you know, that ultra marathon run, feeling what you feel with, with young Eddie and, and knowing that other people do it as tough or even tougher? Yeah, and, and even tougher. And that's the thing. So the par I guess everyone heartbreaks when you see sick kids because of how helpless they are so yeah that was definitely a motivating factor and you know meeting some of the parents who you know have just been told the unthinkable that their their child has cancer and they've got two and a half years of treatment you know before they get to the other side and what that does to the parents you know you can sort of, sort of um you know from to a lesser extent from from what we went through as as you know 22 and 23 year olds as first-time parents you can have some sympathy and, and know that any help, you know, financially or just morally does help. So that was definitely a motivating factor behind the run as well. As you say, 16 now and you have other siblings. Um, mm. He has other siblings. Um, and Kane Corns is quite outspoken. <laughs> have you had the chat with him? Well, some people are going to have, have a go at Dad because Dad <laughs> speaks what he believes to be the truth about yes. some of these people's idols and yep. the people that they love so have you had a chat to him for a, a young yeah. a teenager no, i have i have because of the, the because of the social media thing and because a lot of it on social media is is very headline grabbing um so a lot of the even i read some of the headlines and i did i'm not sure that was sort of in the context that i, I said that. and then you click on the story and you read it and you go okay that doesn't that doesn't sort of match up with the headlines. But a lot of people who react on social media and leave comments do only read those headlines. So I get it. I, I understand the game. So have I spoken to the boys? I said, yeah. Just, I said, fellas, just don't – try not to read the comments on stories like on Facebook. I'm sure they do. Uh, sometimes we'll have a laugh about it. Sometimes they'll come home from school and say, geez, my mates are upset with you or – 
geez, the Hawthorne fans on social media are upset with you, or one day it'll be the Collingwood supporters or the Crows, and we sort of laugh about it as a family and can see the funny side that it is just a game, really, and it's a job. It's not life or death. Yeah, that, that, I, I do know. I'm on a few Hawthorne websites, and, and they, <laughs> they give it to, to Kane Corns. Yes. And I'm half the time I'm like, well, he's got a point. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's about so it's about engagement. Like it's about I want to I don't want to just blend in with with the media. Like I think there's a lot of commentators that'll blend in, and before you know it, they'll be the next. I mean, incredible to think how long you've been doing it, Doom. Like um, how long you've been quarter of a century out of it. Yeah, not many. Not many will last more than five years because there'll be the next retired player who will come out, and they'll be the in thing, and they'll take your job so you'd want to you'd want to stand out and i think there is a there's a void and i do study and watch a lot of the american commentators and those that are the best at it get a reaction be it good or bad i want people to join in the conversation and engage be it be they disagree violently or they think oh, okay i sort of can see his point there or um yeah i, I agree with him this time i didn't last time um, but as long as they're engaged and listening and um, you know joining in the conversation, then I think you're doing something right. But my old mate Ernie Sigley, the second one I'll tell you from my my rule book. <laughs> my old mate Ernie Sigley, he said the in the media, the perfect recipe for being somebody performing in the media. 51% love you and 49 hate you. Not 49 tolerate you think you're yep. all right. You've got to have them at both ends of the spectrum, but a little bit in your camp, a little bit swayed to your camp of the love. Yeah, and and that's spot on. So dad did a dad did the KG and Cornsey drive show that's right. over here for years and years, years, and, years. and years, and you would have been on that many yep. times yep. as as an interviewee. And I used to go in there and do um, an apprenticeship, and KG's still going in the media. Like he, he'd be eighty years of age. They've just named the media centre after him at Adelaide Oval, and he's still on the radio on Saturdays with dad. It's incredible. Uh, his longevity and that was the first thing he said to me it was like you made Ernie he said son you want to be any good 50% need to love you 50% hate you and you're doing something right so I mean that's the recipe for it of course you'd love everyone to love you but that's not the case in today's world but as long as they're engaged and listening and getting a reaction out of what you say then I think it's working 40 you turn yeah. 40 next year. You're mm. a man who loves running. You're a man who runs more than most of us will run in 75 years of life. What does the future hold for you? Um, I don't – yeah, I, I guess I've got a great opportunity with, with Jared Healy work-wise. So we're going to do the, the Sports Show Afternoon Show, which I'm really excited about starting in November and, and learning from one of the greats to do it. Um, so that that's exciting work-wise. Jared's and, been in it. 25, oh, 30 years now as well. So, it's, so that's where I the, the respect that I have for those in the media that have had the longevity. I think, geez, if you've if you've gone that long through different eras and you're still going and you're still in demand, I think, geez, you're doing something right. So I'm I'm really excited to learn um, from him. So that that's work wise, I'm you know motivated to clearly continue to be at the top of my game and and drive that as as one of the hopefully one of the prominent footy commentators for a long, long time. Family's really good. Obviously, you know, it's interesting stages you get through. You know, the kids will work their way through high school and Eddie will be in year 11 next year. So, no, I'm in a good place, Derm, and physically going well. So, um, yeah, I'm excited by the future. Simple little one to let you go, mate. If there's one, you're almost 40, 40 years. So you're probably <laughs> at the halfway mark for yep. Australians, given our yep. men now how long we live. If you could have done one thing better, what would you have done? Uh, I don't. I wasn't a great teammate. Um, if I'm being completely honest, I I wasn't a selfish person, but I acted selfishly sometimes. If there's if there's a distinction, maybe there's not a distinction between that. I was so motivated to get where I wanted to go and to beat my player and to do this and to win a premiership and to win best and fairest and to win the time trials at footy that I had blinkers on. I, I wished I was more open and I wished I was a better teammate, which I think towards the end of my career, I, I became that, but I would have loved to have been that from the start. I I look and I marvel at players like 
Joel Selwood for you know everyone that speaks about Joel Selwood is it's you know it's all about everyone else and so his ability to still get the best out of himself as a an individual and to set the standards but to be conscious of everyone else I think that's such a skill um, as a leader of a footy club so yeah in, in I, I do have some regrets with that a lot of footballers finish I, I got no regrets yeah I reckon I I could have been a better teammate and there'd be some players that I played alongside of that would look back and go geez he was you know, he, he, oh, I wish he could have done things a little bit differently. Um, so if I'm being completely honest, that that's one thing. Well, it's a small consolation, mate. The greatest player of all time, Lee Matthews. We <laughs> loved him. I love his personality. Yeah. We don't know what he's like as a teammate either. Yeah. <laughs> Just a great player. Mm. And he's a nice fella, whatever. But no, he never hung around with us either. But we still love him. So, yeah, it's uh, for that small consolation. Although he did say that. When Terry Wallace joined the group of him, Michael Tuck, and Don Scott, uh, Terry said, right, what are, what's our plan at the first bounce? And they all looked at each other and said, we don't know. <laughs> just <laughs> yeah, go it for was, it. <laughs> it was just like it was, I think it was a chip on your shoulder, something to prove um, from a from a young age. But, you know, that that's fine. As it, look at like sort of Jason Horn Francis guy coming through now. I can see that he just wants to be the best and he's competitive now, hopefully in the next two to three years, he'll develop and be conscious of those around him. Nathan Buckley's probably a, a good you, You've had yep. Bucks on the show. I'm not sure whether he spoke, but he's probably similar, but he was able to evolve into a great leader and a great coach and to the finished product that he is now. It probably just took me a bit longer to get there um, in hindsight than I would have liked. We've done great things, mate, off the field and Thanks, on the field, and it's been a pleasure knowing you. And long may you live in this industry. Is I think you're going to last a bit longer than me. I've got a quarter of a century on you, <laughs> almost. No, if yeah. I can get anywhere near as long as you've got, I'll be happy, mate. But thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, love your work and appreciate your time. Good on you, mate. Thanks, Kane. If you'd like to support Kane's Run, make a donation via mycause.com.au. I'm Dermot Brereton and we'll be back next week when we'll kickstart a conversation with Dare and Are You OK? Thanks for listening. The Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. When your mate bottles it up, a Dare fix won't fix it. But a conversation could. Ask Are You OK? Are You OK?